All right, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, now let's get things straight. When Paul says finally, he does not mean that he's about to quit. You know, when I say finally, uh, that just means finally. But that doesn't necessarily mean that when I say finally, I'm going to quit. Uh, it's an emphasis in the... All right, now. Uh, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Look at that word, against. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand. Stand. Look at that word stand, how many times it's repeated. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray now. Dear Father, tonight, encourage our hearts, band us together. Thank you for the tie that binds us to believers, not only here but around the world. And help us tonight, our Father, to sense that oneness, that unity that we have in Christ. And may the Spirit of God uh, strengthen us and enable us to do the job you've called us to do in this city. Lord, uh, lift the fainting and encourage the discouraged, I pray. And I pray for those under pressure, Lord, that you'd help them tonight to cast their cares upon thee. Use me to be a source of encouragement now in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't have a desire really to preach tonight. I'd like to talk to you for a while on the subject common prayer. Common prayer. And the verse that I want to emphasize is verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Jude wrote about our common salvation. He said, uh, I wanted to write about common salvation, but then it was necessary that I'd write to you to earnestly contend for the faith. And so we have a salvation common. That means it belongs to all of us. It does not mean that the salvation is common, but it belongs to us in common. And uh, here's a prayer in verse 18, and I call common prayer. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 about common trials. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to pray, may be able to, to bear it. Now, here in the book of Ephesians, he writes about our warfare, and he talks about this matter of our resources uh, in prayer. Persistent prayer. Now let's look at that, and then I want to emphasize some things. In verse 18, here's a command to pray. I feel that we need to pray today, 
so urgently. We need prayer more than we need money. Uh, we need prayer more than we need anything else uh, in our ministry tonight. We need prayer. We need all of your prayer. We need each other's prayer. And here in our warfare, Paul talks about, in verse 18, the command to pray. He said, pray in all ways. That means pray day and night. That means pray as you drive to work. That means to pray when you go to bed at night, when you wake up in the night, pray. That means to pray where it went to your job, whether it's at the lunch counter, at the garage, the shop, the office, the classroom, on the field, the sports field, as your mind is free. He's saying praying always, praying always, uh, night and day, with all prayer. That's public prayer. That's private prayer. That's vocal prayer. That's silent prayer. That's a prayer that's a groan, uh, just a word as you lift your heart to God. That's formal prayer. That's long prayer. That's short prayer. That's personal prayer. He said praying always with all prayer, all forms and all kinds of prayer. Pray, pray. And the Bible said pray without ceasing. We're not to let it up. And then he says praying always with all prayer and supplication, that special request, that's pleading, that's interceding. In the Spirit, we're not to pray dead formal prayers. We're to pray in the Spirit. And there are times when we pray and we find no liberty and the blessed Holy Spirit comes in and gives us liberty and illumines our minds and guides our thoughts. How sweet and how wonderful. And he said, now as you pray, recognize the need of assistance of the Holy Spirit. Pray in his strength. And he said, pray uh, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance. He said, now watch uh, that you don't let up. Perseverance means that you stay at it, you stay at it, you stay at it, you keep on. Watching thereunto with all perseverance, uh, all kind of perseverance. Uh, and what? And supplications for all saints. Now, he said, pray for all saints. Uh, all saints, that's all Christians, pray for them. That means pray for the staff. That means pray for the deacons. That means pray for the musicians. That means pray for the teachers. That means pray for the officers. That means pray for the finance committee. That means to pray for the bus workers. That means to pray for the Sunday school teachers. That means to pray for the ushers and the members in the pew. That means to pray for the shut-ins, uh, the missionaries, our students at school, our servicemen. That means to pray for our leaders of our nation. That means to pray for men and women, boys and girls around the world, for all saints. Now, that's the command. Now, I want to spend the rest of the time talking about this matter of prayer that bands us together on several common things. Now, we're to pray for all people because all have a common need. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You and I do not accomplish anything in our own strength. If you find somebody that seems to be strong, uh, you say, my, they have power. They don't have power in themselves. They have power in the Lord. Our, our warfare uh, is not a natural warfare, but a supernatural warfare. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the casting down of strongholds and so on. Now, he said, be strong in the Lord. We have a common need. And our only source of supply of power is prayer. Uh, we pray little, little power. We pray much. We need more power. Now, we need power. We need power in our services. We need power to get Christians under conviction. We need power to get lost people under conviction. Uh, we need power to pray. We need power to witness. Oh, my. 
to go out in the world and witness. We need power. We need power to study the Word of God. We can't help ourselves. We find nothing in the Word of God unless the Holy Spirit shows us. We need power to be like we ought to be in our homes, to be the kind of husbands that we are, ought to be, and wives that we ought to be. A man can't love his wife as Christ loved the church in the energy of the flesh, and neither can a woman be the submissive wife to her husband in the energy of the flesh. That demands supernatural power. We need power. We need power uh, to take a stand in a civilization that's bent uh, on turning their back on God. You need power. You need power to stand and having done all to stand. Our missionaries have left home. They've gone to foreign countries. Loneliness besets them. Problems beset them. Learning a new language and a new diet and a new culture. And everything's completely different. And they're shut up to uh, a foreign country. We need to pray for them. A, a common need that they may be strong in the Lord. Now, our staff needs a, the prayer, what? To be strong in the Lord. Our young people, we pray for them to be strong in the Lord. That's a wicked world out there. And everything that's geared to the world of flesh and the devil has been hurled at all of us, and we have a common need to be strong in the Lord. Now, if we think we have it made and we do like Simon Peter, we don't have to pray, and we go out, then we find ourselves defeated and humiliated. And we need to pray for all of us because of a common need. All of us need the strength of the Lord. You can't do it in your own strength. We're weaklings. We're cowards in our own strength. We need to pray. Then there's a common war uh, in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Now, when you get in a battle and you recognize it's not a private battle. Now, when I fight a, a battle by myself and I think that's all involved, there's something demoralizing and discouraging about that. But when I recognize that I'm in a common war, it's God's battle. It's a global battle. And if it's God's battle, then I'm automatically on the winning side and it enables, enables me uh, to look above my circumstances and my problems and recognize that this is a war of light with darkness. This is a war of God and Satan. This is a war of heaven and hell. And what you're undergoing tonight and your battles, uh, it is a battle. It's not a private battle. You're not alone. This is God's battle. And Satan has turned all that he has on God's people because he hates God and uh, he would uh, harm God if he could by interfering in our lives. And so here, pray, it is God's battle. Uh, there's something wonderful about recognizing that you're in a, a, a global organization. We are. I remember the thrill, even though in combat, uh, in World War II, toward the end of the war, uh, we took off early in the morning and we'd pass planes coming back all the way to the target. I mean, just shuttles. I mean, the skies were filled, and you met them. And man, you think you thought about that, and you'd read about the battle in the Pacific. And here we were in Europe, and we were involved in a global, uh, global warfare for freedom, for liberty, and for the putting down of tyranny. Now, there's something encouraging about that. That enabled me that when I went back that night and slept in a tent and on a cot and with a dirt floor and ate sea rations, and, and lived and walked in and out of the mud and the rain and the mire of southern Italy, 
that was encouraging. I was in a war in which my country, it was my country's war. It was not my private war. It was my country's war. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. Uh, it just does something to us. And Paul would have us to, to know now that this war is not our private war. There's a drug scene. That's not my battle. That's God's battle. Now, there's a liquor, the liquor war and the liquor battle. That's not my battle. That's God's battle. There's a pornography plague. That's God's battle. That's not mine. Uh, the sex education, the homosexual and humanism and all across the country, there is a determined effort to block God and decency and morality out of our history, out of our lives, our homes, our schools, our churches, our political situation, and that is a war in which God is in the battle. It's God's battle. Uh, the psalmist saw that, and he said, Why do the heathen rage and the nations rage and the uh, heathen imagine a vain thing? The rulers of this world, earth take counsel, saying, uh, We will defy God. The second psalm, I didn't quote it exactly, but uh, here's the battle. The battle is the Lord's. You are involved in a global structure and a global war, and you are fighting a war which the prince of the power of this air and masterminded by the devil who is the god of this world. And so your struggles tonight is not a private war. It's a little tiny part of a worldwide war. Regardless of what you're fighting tonight, it's part of an overall war. You're not fighting a private battle. Uh, in the war, you had the Marines, you had the Navy, and you had the Air Corps, you had the infantry, and the artillery, and the CBs, and the Quartermaster Corps, uh, and you begin to need all, all of these particular things. And what was it? They're simply parts of a global warfare. And I don't know where you are. You may be the doughboy of the entrepreneur uh, who, who slugs it out in the trenches. But regardless where you are, you're part of a worldwide battle. All right, then again, we not only have a common war, but we have a common foe. Verse 12. I already read that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We're not fighting people. Churches oftentimes forget this and fight one another. You're not fighting people. It's people that we're fighting a war for to get people saved. You're fighting the devil now, and what happens to one happens to all. If you get a victory, it affects the whole business. Some way we think, well, what I do won't affect anybody. I'll, I'm sorry, but it does. I've flown in combat, and I've seen a B-17 go down in flames. Now, that affected the whole United States when that one went down in flames. When a Christian stumbles and falls into sin, it affects every last one of God's people, not just a local circumstance, not just a church here in Lakeland, Florida, but it affects the entire Christian world. What happens to you uh, affects all of us. Uh, I've seen more folks get killed on the runway than they ever did in combat. Isn't that strange? We lost very few planes over the target. We lost had most of our casualties on the runway at home. You know why? Carelessness. And carelessness does the same identical thing in the Christian life. Man who's fought a successful battle 
and has come home with a, an engine shot out and his plane trimmed to fly with three engines instead of four engines. And he's weary and he's tired and he's had victory. He's hit the target and he comes into the final approach and he forgets the fact that his plane is trimmed to fly with three engines instead of uh, four engines. And he pulls his power off and the wing comes up over the top and the man flies into the ground. What was it? He was tired and weary. The battle was behind him, but he became careless and he lost his life. I've seen whole crews wiped out shooting landings, carelessness. And here we have a common foe. And what happens to you happens to the rest of us. If you have a victory, then it's a victory for all of us. If I have a defeat, then it's a defeat for all of us. You think about uh, the conquest of a, uh, a little tiny city. And you say, well, it really doesn't matter. Well, one man sinned, and what happened? The entire crowd of Israelites were defeated as they marched around the city of Ai. They were defeated. They were defeated by a handful. They conquered Jericho, no problem whatsoever, had great victory. And you say, well, it doesn't really matter how I live. It doesn't really matter if I do this. Oh, yes, it does. None of us liveth unto himself or dieth unto himself. And when there's a bulge or a breakthrough by the enemy in one particular area of the line, it affects everybody else. A victory comes down to us. Uh, we were in Italy rejoicing over the fact that General Blood and Guts patents, how he broke through France, and we'd oftentimes get out on the runway ready to take off, and we'd have to stop our mission and not carry it through because we didn't know where uh, General Patton was. And we rejoiced in the fact that he was moving across southern uh, France. Now, uh, tonight... What affects you affects everybody else. You have a common foe. Turn to First Peter chapter 5 and verse 89. Uh, we do not understand. We think, nobody's been where I am. Nobody understands me. But people come in and say, but you don't understand. Oh, yes, I do. Teenagers say, parents, mama and papa, you don't understand. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, they do. Pastor, you don't understand. Well, in First Peter chapter 5, the Bible tells us about our warfare. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, what? The same afflictions. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, a passage I quoted a while ago, the same temptations are common to man. Generally, the messages that I preach are where you are. Now, how do I preach them? Because that's where I am. If that's where I am, then I know that's where you are. If it helps me, it helps you. And I preach to myself what I need, and preaching to myself what I need is the very thing that you need. What? knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. If you take and look back at the, uh, the verses, excuse me, the titles and the subjects and the messages I preached the last year, if you'd analyze them, I think you would see something that's transpiring and understand that we're in a warfare personally against Calvary Baptist Church. I'll talk about that a little later on tonight. Now, the same temptations, they're common to man. And I must realize that, and I must receive strength and not face it alone. And yours may be at school. You may be at school really having pressure. Maybe from a school teacher. It may be pressure from 
uh, of kids that's across the aisle or the kids that you meet in the, in the hall. It may be in the neighborhood. It may be at the garage. It may be at City Hall. It may be at the office. But you're under terrible pressure and you feel like nobody understands me. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, they do. And so Paul said now, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints because you know what you're going through. If what you're going through, you understand that, then your brothers and sisters are, in, are you know, doing that and you need to pray for them. You understand. Pray for them. Pray for them. And we'll get wrapped up in our own particular needs and we forget the matter of praying for others. Pray with all prayer for all people. Uh, number four, now, there's a common problem. Look at verse 14. It talks about stand, having done all the stand. There's a common problem of wanting to quit. I, I, wish, you'd, I wish you would take seriously uh, the little that's too soon to quit by Ford. Read it. Read it. What quitting does to you, it establishes a pattern. Uh, it establishes a battleground for the devil to knock you out somewhere else. It's too soon to quit. Now, all of us, all of us are tempted to quit. All of us. I've wanted to quit the ministry the last year more than anything in all of my life, any other time of my life, but I don't intend to quit. I don't intend to quit. Now, you're tempted to quit. Quitting doesn't solve anything. Quitting relieves a pressure temporarily, but it's like a troop, a soldier. He's AWL. He quits. He's out from under it, but he places him in problems in other areas. He's absent without leave. It faces a problem of a vacancy in the ranks where he should have stood somebody else has to stand. Now, quitting has never, never, never solved anything. And we're all are faced with a temptation, we want to quit. Uh, people get discouraged. That's our problem. We get discouraged. The solution for that, Luke 18, 1, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, when I carry out Ephesians chapter 5, chapter 6 and verse 18, I begin to pray for others, and what happens? Then I get out from under my burdens. You see, I can spend all of my time uh, introspection on my burdens and my problems and my fears and my doubts, and I get deeper and deeper into discouragement and despair and darkness. But when I focus on somebody else, I begin to pray for them. I lose my burden for myself. I'm wrapped up in concern for others, and I intercede for them. And that's wholesome, and that's life, and that helps. During the Spanish Civil War, uh, I was reading an article before that war broke out, there were many, many folks who were neurotics being treated daily and weekly and for counseling. And when the Spanish Civil War broke out, it emptied the clinics. You see how to do that? Well, they became concerned about a greater anxiety than themselves. They began to think about their houses and their lands and their wives and their children and their husbands. What's going to happen to them? And they got their mind off of themselves onto somebody else, and that's wholesome, and that's true. And now to keep from getting discouraged, you start praying for somebody else and forget praying for yourself. See what it'll do to you. See what it'll do to you. 
You heard me say, some of you heard me say, uh, a leading psychiatrist said, what would you do if you detected mental illness coming on signs of mental illness? He said, I'd get out of my office, I'd go across the tracks, I'd buy some groceries and give to somebody. I'd get involved in trying to help somebody, and in helping somebody, I lose my burden. If you shut yourself away from the saints and pull down the curtains and away from the battle and away from the crowd, you will develop, listen, discouragement that'll drive you to despair. You don't belong there. Now, the common problem is discouragement. We want to quit. But what? We're to pray. Since I want to quit, then I pray for everybody else not to quit. Uh, since here's this matter of a need power, then since in our weakness and we pray for everybody else, they need the same thing that I need. And what you need, I need. And what people out there need, you need. It's a common need, a common foe, and a common supply. Uh, you think about the missionary, the teachers, how many teachers? You say, I'm tempted to quit. Rest assured, when you're tempted to quit, there's a dozen other teachers that are tempted to quit. You know that? If I ask tonight, and I won't do that, I won't do that. If I ask tonight, how, I, how many of you in the last six months just really want to quit? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Oh, I didn't know. I thought just it was just me that wants to quit. Well, then what? Then I recognize that I have a common foe that comes at every one of us with the same bow and arrow and the same weapon of discouragement and tries to knock us out. Then, oh, then I'm encouraged because of the fact I recognize that Satan is opposing me. God's for me. It's God's battle, and God will see me through. Uh, the missionaries. It's tragic how many missionaries go to the mission field and don't stay. I mean, they go one term, and that's it. Now, I realize there's some physical problems. I understand problems like that, but I don't think it's God's, I don't think it's God's will for... I don't think it's God's will for a preacher to take a church and every two or two and a half, three years, he's got another church. I don't believe that. Why did he do that? Got discouraged? He got discouraged? I, I think you find your nook. I don't think a, a teacher in Calvary Baptist Church takes a class and then takes a bus route and then, then takes the music and go and hop from one thing to the other. What do you say? Somewhere along the line, they get discouraged and they quit. Now, missionaries, pray for them. They're under, they're under fire. Deacons, pray for them, they're under fire. Finance committee, pray for them, they're under pressure. Pray for the musicians, pray for the staff, pray for the entire house of God, the people of God. Pray. Why? Because they have a common problem, and that problem is this matter of discouragement. I remember overseas when you had mail call. Guys didn't hear from home. I mean, that's, that's bad business. They go to the mail call and go to mail call and no letter from home uh, and discouragement. Want to quit? I remember uh, when our outfit, before I got there, hit the Paletsky oil fields. We were bombing the oil fields. The 8th Air Force was bombing the manufacturing centers, and we were hitting the supply lines. And uh, they went in and on the deck, and that's right on the ground. And one flight got ahead of the other flight, and they dropped time bombs and blew the flight behind them out of the air because the, the clock was off. And uh, one fellow had seen, gone out in missions and come back, gone out and come back, and every time somebody was dead on board, and one day he walked off and said, I'm through. I'm through. What was the matter? Well, he was, he was weary. He was discouraged. Uh, I know another man flew on my crew. 
He had a, he had a problem with fear. He was an excellent tail gunner until you needed him. But when you needed him, you couldn't get him. He was so scared he wouldn't even answer the intercom. And he'd take a piece of sheet metal and sit on it and uh, with his flak uh, helmet on and his flak suit on and doing the rom bomb run, he'd sit there curled up like a, uh, a worm, uh, trying as best as he could to get his feet and everything else up in that helmet. You couldn't get him. Now, what was it? He had a problem of fear. There are folks who have a problem of fear. There are folks who've seen uh, friends go down this side and that side, and here's a, this, here is a problem of discouragement. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. And so Paul said, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Pray. Why? Because we have a common problem. Then we have a common, ta common test. Look at verse 13. He says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Now, I believe that simply indicates that there are times when we are under special attack. There were days when Job knew what it was to be under special attack. There was a day when Simon Peter knew what it was to be asked, uh, the devil to ask him in heaven, he was uh, and uh, he was turned over to the devil. The devil got him. Jesus prayed for him get him. Uh, the devil was after him. Jesus prayed for him. But he was under special attack. Now he said, having done all to stand in the evil day. And there are evil days, child of God, that'll come to your door when there is an all-out blitzkrieg to ruin you, to wreck you, to knock you out, to put you out of action. Just as that's true in war, there's special pushes, there's special campaigns, there's a battle of the bulls. There comes a day when the devil turns all of his forces loose on our lives. That's the evil day. He said, having done all to stand. Now that day may be an assault on your mind. Brother Roloff told about, you heard him here in the pulpit, uh, not the last time, but the other time he was here, how in jail and uh, in early hours of the morning, when the several radios were turned wide open playing rock music and said the devil came to him and said, I'm going to get your mind. I'm going to put you as a whimpering idiot and uh, your mind gone and it'll be all over the countries, the papers of the country. I'm going to get your mind tonight. That's an assault on the mind. Go about getting his, uh, his earphones out of the airplane and covering up his head with a blanket and with a pillow. The attack on his mind. And he said, God, if it won't work for me, then I can't preach again if this thing won't work for me. And that night God delivered him and God gave him victory. There come days of assault on your mental stability. There come days of assault on your home. Uh, your home blossomed and there came an assault on Job's home. What happened? I mean, all of a sudden he's lost everything in the world and the faith of his wife. And there comes assault on your home it may come to the every member of the family it may come through one member of the family but an evil day it'll come and what happens he said remember this praying always with all prayer and tonight you rest assured there's somebody sitting here who has an assault on their mind there's somebody sitting here tonight whose home's under fire it may be an assault on your morals you'd be surprised folks who come to counsel uh, folks who never, never in their life had any problem with this, and all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, there's an assault on their morals. That's a special attack. It may be assault not on that, but upon your body. 
Job had a, an assault on his body. Boils all over, and the devil can touch, touch your body just like he can touch your mind. And he said, now you remember this. This is a common foe, common battle. We're in this thing together. And what happens to one happens affects all of us. That's, therefore, let's recognize and pray one for another that we may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, I believe this with all my heart. I believe this church has been under a special attack since last October. I believe that with all of my heart. We're all out attacked against pastor, against staff, against the church, members, one by one. I believe that. And unless we recognize that, then we'll not get off of this plateau and get out of this slough that we're in and move out for God again. We're under attack. We're under pressure. Now, that ought to be, that ought to be understood. And I'm not saying this, but trying to be smart or conceited, but you think about the stand that this church has taken in this county and this state and this city, and then not expect an all-out, deliberate, uh, head-on attack against this church, then you're badly mistaken. You're badly mistaken. Badly mistaken. When you take a stand against pornography, against the peekaboo lounges, against the drug traffic, against the liquor traffic, against sex education, against humanism, against the rock festivals, you take a public stand about that, you and I are asking for it as a church, and we're asking for it as individuals. The sad thing is he attacks us as individuals and makes us think that it's just our own thing, and we do not understand that it's a part of the whole picture of a church under attack, and that not only that, that all God's people are under special attack that takes a stand. Now, we're under fire. We're under pressure. What do we do? Quit? What do we do? Despair? No, we're to pray in always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit for all saints. Uh, pray, 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 pray. Now, that's, that's the command. That's the common test. Are you under special test today? If I ask you today, uh, are you undergoing special attack? Uh, then don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. There are others who sit in this same pew tonight are facing the same identical problems and tests. Cheer up. It's God's war. It's God's battle. Then we have a common commission. Now, uh, looking in verse 19, uh, as for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And here is something I've toyed, and I I want to write I want to write the members of the church. And sometimes letters are cold. I don't like to deal with problems over the telephone because you can't see people and their facial expression. And I refuse to deal with problems on the telephone. I want to see somebody face to face. But sometimes believers do not understand that we have a common commission that's twofold. One is evangelization, and the other is edification in order that we might evangelize more. 
Now, there are churches that, that are small. Now, a small church, there's nothing wrong with the size of a church unless it sits in the midst of a metropolis and it stays small, then there's something wrong. A church that's small where they only have a handful of people, that's understandable. Now, a small church can do what a big church can't do in some areas, but the advantage is on the other side, not on the small side. And uh, sometimes Christians do not understand that we have, an, uh, we have a command to feed the flock. We have a command to evangelize the world. That's a twofold command. And a church ought never to do one and neglect the other. Now, that's the reason that God gives pastors to feed the flock. That's the reason we have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night services. That's for the flock to build up the flock. That's the reason we have Bible conferences. That's to build up the flock. Uh, that's the reason we have music. That's to edify and encourage the flock. Uh, that's the reason we have prayer meetings to uh, urge to build up the flock. Wait a minute now. When the flock sinks, that I have to have somebody to come to see me every week and visit me every week. They've misunderstood the purpose of the assembly. The purpose of the assembly is to feed the flock. No preacher can go house by house and preach a sermon and sit down. And, it's impossible. If he does, then he does not have time to evangelize and win the lost. He does not have that time. And so here... We have a common matter of a commission. We have a twofold commission. And Christians need to understand, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is. Don't forsake the assembly. What's the purpose of the assembly? The purpose of the assembly is to encourage you, to reprove you, to guide you, uh, to teach you, to instruct you, uh, to bless you. That's the purpose of the assembly. If you neglect the assembly, then you're in trouble you're in trouble. And there are folks tonight who do not understand that and want somebody to come see them every week. And if you don't go see them every week, they don't come. They, they want to be missed. It's impossible. You get a church this size, it's impossible unless uh, other folks do. It's impossible for a pastor to miss all of his people. I don't have that big of a brain. It's impossible to miss. It's impossible to miss hundreds of people Sunday after Sunday. And when you think of a congregation this size, membership, some 1,800, and that's not a very large church, but you cannot remember. And sometimes a preacher will go on and maybe a month and say, hey, all of a sudden I missed so-and-so, and they've been absent for a long time. And they sit home and say, nobody came to see me. Now, they misunderstood the purpose of the assembly. The purpose of the assembly is fellowship with the saints and edification of the saints and the feeding of the sheep. Now, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on your horses now. And don't you ever, don't you ever say the preacher is too busy to see me. That does not happen to be so. I've never in my ministry told anybody I'm too busy to see me. Uh, you make an appointment, come to my office to see me. You say, I can't make it to the office. And you call and request, I need to see the preacher at my home. And the preacher will be to see you. 
I'm never too busy to see you, and don't let the devil tell you the pastor doesn't have time for you. The pastor has time for you, but I won't know that you need time unless you tell me. That understandable? Now watch. If we use Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night uh, and uh, the Sunday morning teaching hour and the preaching hour and Sunday night, three services a day dedicated what? To the saints. And Wednesday night, dedicated to the saints. And Bible conference, that'll be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, and Sunday, dedicated to the saints. Now, wouldn't it stand to reason, and when in the world are we going to take this matter of evangelization? Oh, then the other nights of the week out there, what, are to win the lost. And saints, they have a commission to teach you and to feed you. Sunday school is a teaching hour. Don't miss it. Preaching hour, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Don't forsake the assembly for it's geared for your purpose to help you. Don't forget it. All right, if that be so, then I must have some time to go soul winning. Now, if we've given most of the time to the saints, doesn't it stand to reason that the other time ought to be given to try to get people saved? Now watch. In a bigger church, you don't have as much time for personal attention. But the church is bigger because it's reaching people, carrying out the Great Commission, and a church is small and stays that way when people all around, it's because of the fact somebody has neglected the matter of soul winning and has spent their entire time feeding the saints and you'll die, you'll die, you'll die if you just feed the saints. Now, a big church has a whole lot more advantages than a small church. You know that? Had more advantages in a big church than a little church could ever. I'll not go into that. But now we have a common uh, commission. Build up the saints. Win the lost. How do we build up the saints? The services for that. How do we win the lost? Well, you leave this service and go out in the world with your place of business. You go to the school. You go to the garage. You go to the city hall. You go what? And you try to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ and bring them back with you to the assembly where they make their profession of faith and baptize. And then we begin to teach them to go back out into the world. And we have soul winning on Tuesday morning and Tuesday night and Thursday night and Saturday. Why? I'm trying to carry out the great commission of edification of the saints in evangelization of the lost. Now, we've got a common, a common commission. It belongs to all of us. Then we have something else. We have not only a common commission, but we have a common message. Look at verse 19. He talks about uh, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We have good news. We're not fighting people. We've got the dynamite that trans uh, transforms their lives and makes them fill the ranks of believers. And so here's the message. The message of salvation. They changed the Roman Empire by preaching the gospel. You know how to change Lakeland? Preaching the gospel. That doesn't mean now that we don't take stands against sin, but uh, you change Lakeland, not by legislation. We change Lakeland by getting folks born again. Uh, and when they get born again, then they change society. And the need about the gospel is utterance. Oh, my. Uh, Paul said that utterance may be given me. That's liberty and freedom. Uh, a preacher knows what utterance is. His people knows what utterance is. 
that sometimes he has no liberty, he can't think, and his tongue is thick, and his mind is sluggish, and he and it's push and push and push all the way. Paul said, now we have a gospel to get out. We need utterance. We need the liberty of the Holy Spirit. This comes in answer to prayer. You ever see me like this and what happened? Then you're to pray. Lord, liberate the preacher. God, loose his mind, loose his tongue, loose his heart, that he can preach in power. That's, your, that's the matter. Praying always. When I preach, you ought to be praying all through the message. When a Sunday school teacher, you ought to be praying, teaches, you ought to be praying all through the message. Uh, in mission conferences and special conferences, you ought to be sitting there not just listening, but praying. Oh, God bless. Oh, God stir. Oh, God send forth labors. Oh, God touch hearts. Praying always with all prayers. Common message. It needs utterance. And then it needs something else. It needs boldness. He said that I may open my mouth boldly. Uh, boldness doesn't come naturally in the matter of witnessing. He said, you mean Paul, this guy that didn't seem to be afraid of anything but sin and God? He said, pray that I'll open my mouth boldly. Yes, sir. All of us are tempted to be silent. All of us are tempted to quit and uh, not open our mouth. All of, us are, all of us are tempted about this matter of timidity. And Paul said, pray for me. You need to pray for the soul winners. You need to pray for deacons and teachers and officers and pastors and staff and believers that we may open our mouth boldly in the places that we find ourselves day by day. And not only boldly, but he said, now I want to make known the mystery of the gospel, clarity, make known the gospel simple so people can lay a hold of it and understand that needs wisdom. He can clutter up the gospel where people don't understand and people want to get saved and don't know how to get saved. Uh, and they've heard a man give an invitation to get saved, but somebody hasn't given the gospel simply and forcefully uh, and in clarity. We need to pray that God might uh, help us to put it down where people can get it. And lastly, verse 20, for which I'm an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We need the recognition that we are ambassadors. He was an ambassador in bonds. We're an ambassador in liberty. We're here in behalf of another country. This is not home. We're here in behalf of another country. And before a country draw, uh, declares war, they take their ambassadors home. And before God declares war on this world in the tribulation period, he's going to take his ambassadors home. We're ambassadors. That means we're here on official business. Old Barry Watley, uh, saved from a, a life of sin and very limited in education, uh, came, was here with us and walked into a store downtown, and a uh, fellow said, may I help you? He said, yes, sir, I'm here on official business. He wasn't being smart. That's true. When you knock on a door of somebody's house, you're there on official business. And when you stand on official business, the king of kings said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Heaven's government is behind your visitation as an ambassador for the Lord. Recognize that. Understand that we're here in behalf of another country, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me look at the, let me look at the verse again, and then I'm through. Look at uh, Ephesians Chapter 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance 
and supplication for all saints. Could I challenge you tonight that we begin to pray and pray, not that we'd feel good, but pray that God might revive us and enable us to get people saved. Now, we've put out, I suppose, in the last three months, we've done more, and we've had soul winning before, but I think we've had more all-out effort about soul winning the last three months than we ever have had at Calvary Baptist Church, and we've won the least. Oh, it doesn't work. No, sir, it doesn't mean it doesn't work. It just means that we're under fire. Let's don't let up. Let's stay at it. Let's stay at it. Let's stay at it. And I'd like to urge you tonight that you set aside some time daily to pray for others. That you get a list of the staff, the deacons, finance committee, missionaries, and begin to pray for them. Now, you may have to break that up into several segments during the week when you put all the missionaries in there and the shut-ins. You begin to pray for leaders. Begin to pray for leaders uh, in fundamentalism. You begin to pray for Dr. Lee Robertson. You begin to pray for Dr. Jack Hiles. You begin to pray for Dr. Bob Jones. You begin to pray for uh, Dr. Tom Malone. You begin to pray for Dr. Uh, uh, Bob Gray. You begin to call these names. Oh, if you think, uh, fellows, the uh, uh, pastor-sized church that I have, you think how much larger they are, then the pressure is much, much, much greater. So what do you do? Or say, they don't need our prayers. Yes, they do. I don't know why. Uh, Dr. Dolphus Price, we sent him a, a check. He's an evangelist that has cancer. And, of course, when you meet him, stop as an evangelist, then the income stops. And we sent him a love offering, and he wrote me back thanking the church for their love offering. And he wrote in there, he said, I've prayed for you daily for years. I bet I don't know how many folks that, that tell me, and I said, why in the world does he, does he pray for me? Well, it's command, but I mean, why does my mind, does my name come before him? And I've had folks say, Preacher, J.B., I pray for you and have prayed for you daily for years. I wonder what it'd be and what I would be or I wouldn't be if folks hadn't prayed and prayed and prayed for me. My mother prayed for me before I was born. She prayed that God give her a preacher boy. God gave her five boys and four girls. I'm the preacher boy. I found that out after I'm in the ministry. My mother lifted me up in prayer and prayed and prayed and prayed. My oldest sister is a prayer warrior, and she prays for me. Everybody needs somebody to pray for them, all of us without exception. Now pray. Sometimes God encourages us by reminding that others pray for us. Sometimes God encourages us by reports like this. Let me share this. This is not really my message, but I just I want to put it in. I wrote a two-page article in the Lakeland Ledger two years ago on the subject murder by appointment when they had two when they have two clinics on South Florida Avenue abortion clinics. The other day, uh, the phone rang. And uh, Judy said, uh, Preacher, there's somebody said they'd like to thank you for something. I said, put them on. And I listened. I, she called her name. I don't know the lady. She said, I just want to thank you. She said, two years ago, you ran an article in the Lakeland Ledger on abortion. 
My 15-year-old daughter was pregnant. Her daddy wanted her to have an abortion. Her boyfriend wanted her to have an abortion. Her boyfriend's parents wanted her to have an abortion. She read your article and refused to have an abortion. I want to thank you because I'm sitting here today playing with my two-year-old granddaughter. And it just hit her as she was sitting there playing with that little grandbaby about an article two years ago. And hear me, to know that I saved a little girl's life. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. Now, would you take seriously this message tonight? This church needs prayer more than it needs finances. And we're not behind in our finances. We need prayer, prayer for power. We need prayer to get moving again. We need prayer to be encouraged. We need prayer to make us realize that we're together in this thing and you're not alone. We need prayer uh, to uphold one another. And I'd like to challenge you tonight to go home and begin to pray every day, special time, to pray not for your request, but pray for others. Get your prayer list and begin to pray for others. See what it'll do for your life. See how it'll help you emotionally and mentally and spiritually. See how it'll enrich your life. See what it does to others. Pray. Pray. Pray one for another. Uh, pray for homes. You hear of a home having problems. Pray. Don't gossip. Pray for that home. You hear of young people under pressure in their lives, not what they ought to be. Pray. Pray. They're under attack. They're under temptation. Pray for other churches. It's no sin to pray for other churches. I've prayed many times for the pastors in this city. Now listen, it's uh, uh, God's work is not limited to Calvary Baptist Church. You don't harm by praying for other pastors and praying for other churches and God blesses. You don't harm this work. Pray. Pray for others. Pray for others. 